Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Thy Strong Word. I'm Pastor A.J. Espinosa. We're reading the entire Bible together, book by book, chapter by chapter, looking at Mark chapter 6 today. And the fast pace of Mark just keeps up today. We're looking at this chapter, and it's just so quick, it seems already, that we have his own rejection by his hometown. Uh, this is a big scene here. You've got it in a few of the Gospels. Mark has a unique way of, of conveying this for us. But after he goes around and does all these amazing things that we've seen already, his own hometown is done with him. Uh, so we move on from that. And then, of course, then at the end of the chapter, it's already uh, the death of John the Baptist. We hardly knew him. Uh, he was hardly on, on, on the stage, so to speak, right? And then he's gone. And then a couple of these really big miracles, including the feeding of the 5,000 and the walking on the water. So, I mean, you're just thinking, wow, all of these things, now what do these have to do with each other? But as we've seen, uh, the arrangement here is no accident. All of these things are put together because uh, underneath the real life story, there's a message for us going on. So really pleased to be looking at that today with our guest. We have returning Pastor Thomas Eckstein, pastor at Concordia Lutheran Church in Jamestown, North Dakota. Good morning, brother. Good to have you back looking at this chapter in the gospel today. Yes, good to be back. Looking forward to it. Yeah, and it's uh, we'll have to we'll have to be on top of the, the pace here because, you know, you could easily just spend the whole time uh, just talking about just one of these little episodes, oh, I know. Uh, you know, especially the, the feeding of the 5,000. Uh, but, you know, here you have them all in rapid succession. <laughs> Yes, yeah, so yeah, obviously we'll have to uh, 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 exercise some self-control <laughs> about how much you want to comment on each one. Um, but uh, the, the, there's so much richness here from, uh, that, that we can learn uh, uh, from each one of these, uh, but looking forward to getting through the whole chapter. So, Yeah, yeah, no, it, it, it'll be good. And it's, it's, it's nice because this is, um, this is one of the strengths of the format that we have, that you're, we're looking at this stuff, and, and you actually see— um, all of these read together, and and there's just stuff that pops out at you. Usually, you just read the fighting of the fighting of the feed thousand, the the feeding of the five thousand, and uh -huh. that's you just that, there it is. But when you read it with everything going on around it, suddenly you're like, oh, oh yeah, hold on a second, right? You know, so yeah. it's, it's it's good stuff. It's good stuff. All right. Well, let's uh, without any further ado, turn to the text. And as we do, brother, would you open us up with a prayer for us and for everyone following along today? Yes. Heavenly Father, we come before you today, and as we've been working our way through Mark, we, we see that your Lord is the Lord of creation. He's able to bring healing to people. And so we, we lift before you the situation that the whole world is currently going through with, with the pandemic and economic uncertainty. Uh, help us to remember that you're the Lord of creation, and you work in all things uh, for our present and eternal good. Lord, uh, but most of all, in the midst of all of this, uh, remind us how frail we are and how much we need you, and that through you we have what we need more than anything, the forgiveness of sins, uh, reconciliation with your Father, and the hope uh, of eternal life in the face of death itself. So uh, as we go through Mark chapter 6 today, Lord, open our hearts and, and uh, minds to, to receive your wisdom and be blessed thereby. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, brother. All right, so here we are, Mark chapter 6. Let's see here. We're going to read just—we're just, just going to go ahead and just read through the whole chapter, 
um, see how that goes. And, uh, and then we're going to kind of break it down to smaller pieces. Before we go into the reading, though, do you have anything for us to kind of help us uh, kind of maybe to set the scene a little bit or kind of things to be listening for? Well, it's just it's coming off. Uh, Jesus had uh, kind of been in the north in Galilee uh, at the end of Mark chapter 5. Uh, well, in Mark chapter 5, he had been in the uh, uh, Gerasenes, uh, the, the healing of the demoniac, and then, of course, uh, healing of uh, uh, Jairus' daughter after that, as well as the woman uh, with the bleeding issue. And, uh, and right. then, you know, the very beginning of Mark 6, he went away from there and came to his hometown, which, of course, is, is a reference uh, to Nazareth, and that's sort of the setting for where we're at at this point. Yeah, exactly. So we, we have we have a number of these healing episodes and um, events that have already kind of taken place here in the background here. And, and the scene, as you're noting, has changed a couple of times here, and it will continue to change a little bit. So kind of tracing the movement around here. Here we go. Chapter six, then, in the English Standard Version from the top. He went away from there and came to his hometown, and his disciples followed him. And on the Sabbath, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many who heard him were astonished, saying, Where did this man get these things? What is the wisdom given to him? How are such mighty works done by his hands? Is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary, and the brother of James and Joseph and Judas and Simon? And are not his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. And Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor, except in his hometown, and among his relatives, and in his own household. And he could do no mighty work there, except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. And he marveled because of their unbelief. And he went about among the villages teaching. And he called the twelve and began to send them out two by two and gave them authority over the unclean spirits. He charged them to take nothing for their journey except a staff, no bread, no bag, no money in their belts, but to wear sandals and not put on two tunics. And he said to them, Whenever you enter a house, stay there until you depart from there. And if any place will not receive you and they will not listen to you, when you leave, shake off the dust that is on your feet as a testimony against them. So they went out and proclaimed that people should repent. And they cast out many demons and anointed with oil many who were sick and healed them. King Herod heard of it, for Jesus' name had become known. Some said, John the Baptist has been raised from the dead. That is why these miraculous powers are at work in him. But others said, he is Elijah. Another said, he is a prophet, like one of the prophets of old. But when Herod heard of it, he said, John, whom I beheaded, has been raised. For it was Herod who had had sent and seized John and bound him in prison for the sake of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, because he had married her. For John had been saying to Herod, It's not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. And Herodias had a grudge against him and wanted to put him to death. But she couldn't, for Herod feared John, knowing that he was a righteous and holy man, and he kept him safe. When he heard him, he was greatly perplexed, and yet he heard him gladly. But an opportunity came when Herod, on his birthday, gave a banquet for his nobles and military commanders and the leading men of Galilee. For when Herodias' daughter came in and danced, she pleased Herod and his guests. And the king said to the girl, Ask me for whatever you wish, and I will give it to you. And he vowed to her, Whatever you ask me, I will give you up to half my kingdom. And she went out and said to her mother, For what should I ask? And she said, the head of John the Baptist. 
And she came in immediately with haste to the king and asked, saying, I want you to give me at once the head of John the Baptist on a platter. And the king was exceedingly sorry because of the, his oaths and his guests. He did not want to break his word to her. And immediately the king sent an executioner with orders to bring John's head. He went and beheaded him in the prison and brought his head on a platter and gave it to the girl. And the girl gave it to her mother. When his disciples heard of it, they came and took his body and laid it in a tomb. The apostles returned to Jesus and told him all that they had done and taught. And he said to them, Come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. For many were coming and going, and they had no leisure even to eat. And they went away in the boat to a desolate place by themselves. Now many saw them going and recognized them, and they ran there on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them, because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. And when it grew late, his disciples came to him and said, This is a desolate place, and the hour is now late. Send them away to go into the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But he answered them, You give them something to eat. And they said to him, Shall we go and buy two hundred denarii worth of bread and give it to them to eat? And he said to them, How many loaves do you have? Go and see. And when they had found out, they said, Five and two fish. Then he commanded them all to sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups by hundreds and by fifties. And taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing and broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the people. And he divided the two fish among them all. And they all ate and were satisfied. And they took up twelve baskets full of broken pieces and of the fish. And those who ate the loaves were five thousand men. Immediately he made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side, to Bethsaida, while he dismissed the crowd. And after he had taken leave of them, he went up on the mountain to pray. And when evening came, the boat was out on the sea, and he was alone on the land. And he saw that they were making headway painfully, for the wind was against them. And about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them, walking on the sea. He meant to pass by them, but when they saw him walking on the sea, they thought it was a ghost and cried out, for they all saw him and were terrified. But immediately he spoke to them and said, Take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. And he got into the boat with them, and the wind ceased. And they were utterly astounded, for they did not understand about the loaves, but their hearts were hardened. When they had crossed over, they came to land at Gennesaret and moored to the shore. And when they got out of the boat, the people immediately recognized him and ran about the whole region and began to bring the sick people on their beds to wherever they heard he was. And wherever he came in villages, cities, or countryside, they laid the sick in the marketplaces and implored him that they might touch even the fringe of his garment. And as many touched it were made well. All right, so there is a is a thick, meaty chapter here, fifty six verses, uh, a lot of a lot of moving around, right? You know, I mean, so you know, like you were saying before, um, in chapter five, you know, they'd been moving around, uh, you know, uh, what where was it? The, the Gerizines and the Decapolis, right? And here they are. They, they start off in Nazareth, 
Um, and then they start traveling all around, and we don't even know really all the places that the disciples wind up because we have this interlude going on. It's like kind of like right. you know scene change, just we're switching things over, right? There's this this kind of interlude about John the Baptist, um, this whole thing, and then we just kind of seamlessly just go right back into it and say, oh, by the way, they all came back, <laughs> right? Like while we were waiting for the disciples to come back, they all, they all come back, and we have this uh, feeding of the 5,000 right into the walking on the water and, and more stuff now in Gennesaret. So just a lot of moving around, and it sounds like uh, the disciples and the Lord himself are getting kind of wearied along the way, too. Exactly, exactly. And, um, uh, you know, I, I could preach a whole sermon series just on this chapter. Yeah, but, I know. Uh, to, to start out with, with, with Nazareth, um, you know, after he leaves the, the northern part of Galilee and heads to his hometown, um, it's interesting. Uh, on the one hand, uh, the people are uh, amazed at his miracles uh, and his teaching. Uh, they, they can't, you know, deny any of this. And yet uh, they're uh, scandalized by this. And, you know, and, and it seems from at least the context here, it's that, well, you know, how could he be so special? How could he have all these? Yeah, we, we know who he is. He's just an ordinary dude from, from our area. We know who his family is. They're nothing special. And, and you know, it, it, it mentions here they took offense at him. And then Jesus makes this, you know, well-known comment, a prophet is not without honor except in his hometown and among his relatives and in his own household. And, you know, I've often made a comment on this, you know, that um, here's a good example of where we're all right with God until he gets too close. <laughs> you know, yeah. it's like if we can keep God at a distance and, you know, he, he, you know he, he's there when we need him, but we can kind of go on mm. with our lives, you know. But when God gets just right. a little too close, uh, we, we find ways to, 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 you know, keep him at, at, at arm's length. And uh, here they're, they're just scandalized that, that Jesus, with, with all this teaching, with, with all these miracles that they can't deny, but, but because they know who he is and where he's from, no, they're, they're not going to uh, accept uh, what's right in front of their eyes. And then this interesting comment, he could not do many miracles there, or, or any miracles there, uh, uh, except lay right. his hands on a few sick people and heal them. And of course, it's important to point out here, it's not like he was unable to do this. I mean, Jesus is God. He can right. do what he wants. But, but the idea here is he, he's not going to, um, you know, uh, honor their skepticism or unbelief in any way. Uh, even though it doesn't say this specifically here, you could almost imagine them saying, hey, Jesus, if you really are who you say you are, you prove it to us. Do this miracle. Do that miracle. And and you could imagine Jesus saying, no, I'm, I'm not going to you know, uh, uh, bow to you and, and you know, uh, prove myself to you. You know, when I do miracles, it's by grace, it's a gift, but it's not something I do because you demand it of me. And, and so his whole right. reason here for not doing miracles was because of their unbelief. It, 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 it probably wouldn't have done any good anyway, because uh, we know, you know, the, the, the leaders of the Jews, the Pharisees, Sadducees, they, they were uh, witness to Jesus' miracles, even the raising of Lazarus, and, and they still did not believe. Right. I, I think that that's, that's a good way of breaking it down, that, you know, we, we saw that in the previous chapter, that when the woman with the, the discharge of blood, uh, you know, touched the fringe of his garment and was healed, and what did he say? We, we saw that. Daughter, your faith has made you well. Right. 
and we were and we were looking at that right and it wasn't that oh well you know she had like so much faith right you know or like she she was just bringing so much to the table but um we saw that looking at that in the context of chapter five the the theme has been this difference of fear and faith as responses to the word and so it's just what's the word going to do is the word going to inspire faith or is the word going to inspire fear? It inspires fear um, among the, the Pharisees and the leaders who are opposed to him. Uh, fear among the unclean spirits it, it inspires faith in the case of the daughter, right? And so, but either way, it's all it's all the word that's at work. And so, I mean, as I was listening to you, I'm thinking to myself, you know, really, this first episode in chapter six really goes along with uh, oh, it does. all the all of chapter five before. It's just very much um, the same theme where, you know, you've got a, a number of stories where it, the word inspired faith, and here it's, um, it inspires, well, not exactly fear, uh, but as you, as you were saying, you know, um, I mean, it, it offends their pride, you know? I mean, it's, uh, yeah. it's, it's a kind of, it's a kind of, I think, yeah, the word, the word scandal, I think you said, right? And so right. It's, not, it's not so much, so much the fear here, um, but, I mean, kind of either way, it's just we see, this this is the the parable of the sower just lived out, and we're looking at the different kinds of soil. Right, right, and you know, and I'm sure you dealt with this yesterday too. But you know, uh, uh, whether it's here in chapter six or earlier when when Jesus says, "Woman, your faith has healed you," you know, uh, it's right. important to know that that we're not talking about faith as something, some power that enables us to to twist God's right. arm and give what we want. Both the woman and right. Jairus. Uh, believe that Jesus is able to heal us if he wants to. I, I think of the one situation where a man says, Jesus, you know, if you are willing, you can heal me. You know, so uh, mm-hmm. it's more the idea that he is the Messiah. He, he, he is the Son of God. He is able to heal me if he's willing. And uh, I, I'm going to go to him with, with that faith in mind. And, and Jesus acknowledges that. Yeah, no, it, we keep going back to the story in Daniel about Daniel's three friends who say, you know, our, we don't have to give you an answer, Nebuchadnezzar, because our God can save us. You asked, you know, what God can save you uh, from my hand? Well, our God can, but he might not. You know, but it's up to him. But even if he doesn't, we're sticking with him. You know, that, that idea that, you know, faith, as you were saying, it's not this—it's not a power. It's not a, a kind of irrational confidence that something is just going to happen because you just know it. Uh, I mean, you don't right. know. They didn't know. They didn't know what was going to happen when they got thrown into the fire. But what they did know is that God could, if he wanted, you know, exactly. and, and that's, um, yeah, yeah. And so I think your point's really, really well taken here. And so you, you've got this, this same situation where it, it doesn't, like you were saying, it doesn't, it doesn't spell it out, um, though, you know, this is where, like, if you look at, like, the parallels, uh, there's a little bit more explanation. But it seems consistent. that There's no one here for the Lord Jesus to, to turn and say to your faith has made you well, right? right. I mean, like, that's just—I mean, who, who could he say that to? Not, none of them had faith. And, and his point, right, and the point that we keep seeing again and again, is it's not about the miracles. It's about the Word. And so yeah. the, the miracles are only there to testify to the Word, and here the Word is not working faith, so why would he be performing miracles then? 
Right, exactly. And, and especially when you look at the whole context of the Gospels, the, even though I'm, I don't deny that Jesus had compassion on people, but the fact is he didn't right. always heal people. He, he, he didn't always give healing to individuals. The, the primary purpose of the miracles was to show that Jesus was the promised Messiah who had come to give us something far greater than physical healing. And in fact, I put it out to my members, I, you know, uh, when we get too caught up in the fact that some people were healed physically, I always point out, you know, what happened to those people who were healed physically, or even in some cases raised from the dead? Well, they all eventually grew old, got sick, and died. You know, uh, uh, and so the main point uh, of, of the miracle is is not the physical blessing, but but the sign that points to Jesus who has come to give us an even greater healing, which is forgiveness of sins and, and reconciliation with the Father and, and the hope of eternal life with him. Amen. And I, and I think that that's why you get that echo, echo there in verse 6, right? And he went about among the villages teaching, um, just again, just like he said earlier in the Gospel of Mark here, that's his focus. He wants to teach, he wants to preach the word. So right. you have that episode that, that seems to just, I mean, I mean, just kind of be very much along the same lines of what we saw in chapter 5. Uh, and then you have this turn here where he starts sending out the apostles. And this is an interesting little moment here, picking it up in verse 7. Um, you know, he sends them out in this very particular way, and it says he gives them authority over the unclean spirits. And, I mean, it's interesting because the the charge seems to be really on the teaching, right? If any place will not receive you and they will not listen to you, I'm referring to like their teaching, right? Um, then, then they do right. this as testimony against them. So after he himself has been rejected, he gives them instructions with a view that they too will be rejected as they go about teaching this. And it's only kind of almost like by, by like sidebar comment in 13 that, oh yeah, they also healed people. Right. Right, exactly, and um, and 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 th- this is a, a good example, just uh, you know, for pastors today, you know, um, and and then all Christians in general, for that matter, you know, uh, God doesn't call us to be successful, but He does call us to be faithful. Just go out and yeah. and preach for repentance and the forgiveness of sins. Uh, some people, the Holy Spirit will open their hearts and they'll receive you, but others won't. You know, uh, some will harden their hearts. But but that doesn't change the fact that, that we have authority in Jesus. Uh, we speak for him. And, uh, um, you know, if people reject that, they're not so much rejecting what we're saying, but, but God who's speaking through us. Exactly. And I, I think that this is another one of these, uh, you know, Mark-John crossover moments where, you know, John says, you know, hey, if they, if they did these things to your master, I mean, no, no servants above his master, they're going to do the same to you. So I mean, I feel like this is just sort of the the narrative version of the same idea there that, hey, you know, if if people had these very mixed responses to the Lord Jesus, uh, don't think that everyone's just going to be coming and singing your accolades. You know, I mean, you're you're also going to get the mixed responses, including some of these really bad ones here. So uh, so uh, one more thing were you going to. I was going to move on. Well, to I was just going to point here, out, but... just to affirm what we said earlier, that even though there were healing miracles here, you know, the main yeah. message was confess your sins, repent. Yes. You know, so, so they didn't go out proclaiming, you know, prosperity gospel, you know, just name it and claim it. You know, <laughs> they, the, the miracles were a sign that they had been given authority by Jesus. But what was their message? Repent. 
You know, uh, right. the kingdom of God is at hand. You know, you, you, you need a far greater healing, and that's the forgiveness of sins. Well, exactly. And we, like we saw earlier, right, when the Lord um, healed the man who, who couldn't walk, right, when he, when he healed him, that, that was the sign that indeed his sins were being forgiven. So just as yeah. you said, the, the focus is always on the authoritative word, including that authoritative word of absolution. That'll carry us to our break, I think. But everybody, hang on. We're looking at Mark chapter 6 here on Nice Strong Word today. We'll be right back. This is Dr. Dale Meyer. Have you heard Concordia Seminary's program, Word and Work and Intersection? Every week you can hear it on KFUO Thursdays at 2 p.m. Central Time. We visit with many interesting guests about how the Word of God applies to their daily vocations and ministries. Be sure to tune in and may the intersection of Word and Work be busy on your corner. In 1924, by the grace of God, KFUO began broadcasting the good news of Christ for you. A long part of this history is bringing you worship services to hear and receive the good gifts of God in His words. This Sunday morning, join us for services from Ascension Lutheran Church in St. Louis at 815 and Hope Lutheran Church in St. Anne at 1045, as well as Bible study from St. Paul's Lutheran Church in De Pere at 930. Hear Christ for you in Sunday morning services on KFUO. Hi, I'm Pastor Mark Hawkinson, host of Moments of Assurance here on Worldwide KFUO. On the next MOA weekend, I'll share thoughts with you about worry. What are you anxious about? Your health, your wealth, your job, your relationship? Jesus said, consider the ravens. They have neither storehouse nor barn, and yet God feeds them. So join me for a worry-free discussion on MOA weekend, 7.45 a.m. this Saturday and Sunday morning here on Worldwide KFUO. to Thy Strong Word. I'm Pastor A.J. Espinosa. We're looking at Mark chapter 6 today. Joined today by our guest, Pastor Thomas Eckstein, pastor at Concordia Lutheran Church in Jamestown, North Dakota. If you've got a question for me or for Pastor Eckstein, you can send us an email today. No phone, but you can do email, kfuo at kfuo.org, and uh, help you the the helpy, <laughs> the helpful people, and this helpful person, aka Andy Bates, um, will be passing along those messages if you've got anything for us. Thank you, Andy, for doing that for us. And also, speaking of people I owe thanks to, we need to thank our underwriters at the Lutheran Heritage Foundation, lhfmissions.org is their website. Thank you guys for underwriting Thy Strong Word. All right, so we were just kind of wrapping up, I think, uh, the, these first little uh, two episodes that we were seeing that in, in many ways they really just kind of cap off chapter 5. It's, I think, then in verse 14 where, you know, after we've kind of developed this theme of, you know, the different sorts of reactions uh, to Jesus, whether it be fear or faith, but regardless, it's all about the power of the word, right? Uh, then in chapter uh, six, we get this turn at verse 14, and 
King Herod is introduced uh, into this right. scene, right? Um, and so, you know, that, that's this is I, I feel like okay now now this is kind of a different story here, and um, you know, every all the other stuff kind of fades into the background, and so. This is kind of the question I feel like I usually try to start with, but because of the way the chapter division, it's almost kind of more logical to look at it here. Um, if, if this is kind of the beginning of a new section, then, you know, starting with this, um, you know, the the death of John the Baptist going into the feeding of the 5,000 and the walking on the water, um, is, there, is there any kind of theme then that emerges when we kind of put those episodes together? And when, when we kind of look at, because I, I do think there really is something here to this, that that when oh, you yeah. look at the feeding of the 5,000, you almost have to look at that as an answer to the death of John the Baptist. I mean, I mean, this is this is how I, I've increasingly come to look at it. Um, but I mean, what, what, what are your thoughts? Is there something that ties together the death of John the Baptist with these two miracles that we hear about next? Yes. Well, I think, you know, when we look at this section on the death of John the Baptist, there's two things that, that jump out at me. Number one, uh, I think of what Jesus says, you know, in, in Matthew 16, who do people say that I am? You know, and, yeah. and here we have a good example of where Jesus is definitely what he's doing and what his teaching is becoming well known. But but most of the people aren't getting it, including his own uh, disciples. And and so uh, Herod, uh, his conclusion is, well, uh, uh, it must be John the Baptist raised from the dead. Of course, I, I can't help but think he's saying that because of his guilty conscience, which we find out why he, he ends up, you know, for really no good reason, ha- having John killed, even though he thinks he's a godly man. Um, so there's right. this idea that, that Jesus uh, is, is becoming well-known. And then I can't help but think of, of, of you know, of the, the comments in, in other places in the Gospels, uh, even from John himself, where he says, uh, he, referring to Jesus, must increase and I must decrease. And so mm-hmm. uh, you, you have this emphasis being taken off of John and being put on Jesus. And, and now at, 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 once we realize that, well, John's out of the scene, he's dead, and he has not been raised from the dead, now the focus is really on the fact that Jesus uh, should be uh, uh, the one capturing our attention. And then we end up having these two big miracles that really do affirm that. I think of what John says too earlier, you know, um, uh, you know, one greater than I is coming. You know, I'm not worthy to right. stoop down and, and, and take his you know, sh- shoes off. And, and so now that we see that, that, that John uh, is dead and has not come back to life, it's time to really focus on Jesus. And, and, and so the answer to the fact that John is dead is that, hey, here's the one John was pointing to. Yeah, I, I think that's definitely part of the theme here that you see. I mean, John the Baptist, and it's interesting, John the Baptist was never really that big in Mark anyway. I mean, in John, he's a little bit bigger, and I feel like that's you kind of get the little uh, that that dynamic you were describing that he must decrease as the Lord increases. You feel that a little bit more in John. I mean, though you do see it here. But it's interesting just how in Mark, you know, John, he gets introduced very much in passing. You know, it's not like in Luke, where at least you get a little bit about the, like, the birth of John. Uh, it, it's very John light overall. And, and the thing that is striking, too, I think, is that this account from verse 14 on to verse 29 is very Herod heavy. You know, the, the focus 
it seems like, is really on Herod, um, you know, and, and what's going on with this guy. And, and in fact, this is kind of one of the rarer moments in biblical narrative where you really get the internal motivations and struggles of the person described, right? We, we, we actually are taken into Herod's decision-making angst, right? Um, where, where, where we see he really doesn't want to do this because he's got these reasons and these reasons, right? But he's, and he's torn, he's conflicted. There's, um, it's very interesting that Herod ends up getting, and this is like, this is supposed to be the part about John, <laughs> John the Baptist, but we end up focusing so much on, on Herod. And uh, I wonder if maybe, uh, to complement what you're saying, we have besides the, the John fading and, and the Lord Jesus um, becoming brighter, if maybe there's a contrast in who is called king here. Uh, we have here King Herod introduced in verse 14, um, who's just subsequently called Herod. And then you've got the feeding of the 5,000, where you have this, 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 I mean, this amazing comment that comes, right? They're like sheep without a shepherd, that royal metaphor of scripture. So if Herod's not going to be a good king, if Herod's not actually going to take his job seriously, then Jesus will. And it seems like, and this is, this is how I look at it, that the feeding of the 5,000 is an answer to Herod uh, being no real shepherd for God's people. Oh, I mean, I, I, I really think it's both ends. In fact, it's interesting to mention shepherd. Uh, now, we have to be careful we don't push this too far, but I think of uh, Mark 6, 13. Uh, we don't have time to get deep into this, but and, and, uh, not only did the disciples heal people, they anointed with oil. And, you know, the yeah. veiled reference, mm-hmm. you think of Psalm 23, yeah, you, you anoint my head with oil. So we're, we're already preparing for the fact that, you know, uh, Jesus is the shepherd, and he's coming to care for his sheep and feed them, not, not just physically, but, but by, like you said, proclaiming the word. And so you, you not only have Herod's big focus on the wrong person, John the Baptist raising from the dead and, and realizing, wait, there's another guy that's going to die and will actually raise from that's the right. dead. That's right. <laughs> uh, but but yeah. then you do have this, this focus on, uh, here, here's this king, but not much of a king at all. Uh, you know, in fact, he's um, willing to uh, compromise his own convictions for the sake of, you know, a, a public popularity. Where where Jesus is, he doesn't care what 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 you know the culture says. He he speaks the truth and and is willing to, to take the consequences for it. And so you 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 know you have the contrast, like you said, between a an earthly king who who is is you know compromised in, in his own conscience, and then the, the true king who speaks the truth uh, in, in spite of the persecution he might get because of it. Right. Yeah, no, I, I think I think that's a, really, that's a really good insight as well, that you just, you, you've got all these little signals kind of all over, just like we were seeing how uh, back in chapter five, how you, you had all of those little, those little telltale signs that were saying, hey guys, th- this, this, uh, Gerizim demoniac, as he's sometimes referred to, is he's really, really Gentile, right? Like, not only are we going to put him in the Gerizims, is but he also he's going to be cutting himself, and he's going to be, you know, which is kind of I, I feel like kind of in some ways maybe an indirect reference to uh, the prohibition against shaving in some ways, right? I mean, just just the little things, even right? He's out hanging out in the tombs and all this stuff. There's there's pigs, so we have all these kind of hints that are like this guy's really, really Gentile-y. Um, and then in this oh, chapter, yeah. you've got all these, like you, like you were saying, you, there's all these little like 
anointing there's talking about raising from the dead you know like there's like all these little things that are just kind of like hmm right uh you know just kind of get you thinking that way yeah, and even though I agree with you, you know, Mark doesn't seem to emphasize, he doesn't spend quite as much time on John and the other Gospels, but the fact is, in chapter one, he, the one thing he does bring out is, you know, in, in the very, you know, verse seven, uh, he has John saying, hey, uh, the, I'm not yet, the, the one coming is mightier than I, but Herod just doesn't yeah. seem to get that. <laughs> you know, Herod, the first thing that comes to his mind is not, who's this Jesus? But he immediately thinks that John the Baptist is the big guy. Well, we find out who the big guy really is after this. Well, yeah, and it's and it's interesting, you know, so kind of zooming in here a little bit, it's interesting how in verse 14, we just have in the Greek here, it's just, you know, and King Herod heard. Doesn't even say what he heard, um, you know, <laughs> and we, we have um, in the English translation you have of it, right? Um, whether that's, you know, that he heard that he heard that Jesus is uh, sending out apostles to do stuff or that they're casting out demons on his behalf, or is it just kind of um, generally maybe even like King Herod heard of him, like that, that Jesus is making such a splash, right? But right. kind of like regardless, the, the, the thing that's being emphasized is um, Herod has has kind of the word, so to speak, has reached Herod, and what's Herod's reaction? Fear, right? So we have like the same like fear-faith dichotomy, and the, the thing is, Herod is perceiving this word as a threat, just like the way that the Pharisees had earlier, who were, it said um, at the time in Mark, in chapter three, out uh, plotting with the Herodians, right? So it's the same thing. Herod is mostly thinking about himself and how is he, so he's not really even focused on, you know, on, on John the Baptist. It's just like, you know, I just, I'm just going to try to figure out how I can maintain my power and I want to make sure that there are no threats to, to me. And I want to make sure that I look good in front of everybody. And that, that seems to be what's going on. It says there in the text, you know, why does he put John in prison? Well, because John's oh. bad-mouthing him. Right. <laughs> He's not making well, him well, look think, good. You know, this, is, this is hurting his image. You think of, you know, the, the apostles were sent out to proclaim that people should repent. Well, what was John exactly doing to Herod? Herod, <laughs> you need to repent. And, of course, sadly, yeah. Herod, uh, that didn't sit well with him. Right, no, exactly. Because if you're, if you're telling your public officials, right, that you got to repent. Well, I mean, first of all, that's just, you know, it's not hurting, that's not helping your poll numbers, right? But then second of all, it implies that there's some kind of authority that's greater, right? Now, hang on a second. You're telling me what to do? You know, I, I think I can send you back to the, you know, the wilderness that you came from. So, you know, you've got him locking him up, which is an interesting move too, because, um, and we've talked about this a couple of times, like prison didn't necessarily exist as such, at the time, uh, a prison system is sort of a function of a wealthy country that can afford to have people not producing anything, um, but you'd still take care of them. So right. it's a very kind of spe- particular, peculiar move to lock him up, um, which is just because, again, the PR situation. He can't kill John the Baptist because then everyone's going to hate him more than they already do. Right. So we, we can't we don't want to, like, sink that low in the polls. Um, you know, don't want to come that close to having a riot on our hands. But on the other hand, we can't have him out just 
you know, saying, oh, I got to repent and this is no good. And, you know, I'm, I'm not living according to the law of God. So he's forced into this awkward situation of locking him up. And then he's forced into another awkward situation because he's got to keep up appearances and he just does this thing where he's, you know, all this, this lavish uh, celebration and probably, I think as most people have speculated when you, when you have the movie uh, reenactments of this, right, probably a little bit too much drinking and some questionable decisions, um, you know, is there a little bit of, um, you know, uh, blurring of family lines in some unhealthy ways, almost certainly that seems like it's going on because it's been going on the whole time. Uh, and right. so he's forced into another awkward situation. Right, right. And so uh, obviously it, it ends and uh, with John the Baptist's death, uh, which, you know, for some people would mean bad news, uh, you know, because, uh, you know, oh boy, he was a prophet, he was a godly man, but then, then comes the good news, uh, and uh, uh, we're, we're back to Jesus again. And, uh, you know, in the feeding of the 5,000, I, I find this so interesting. Um, you know, you have this crowd coming after Jesus, and then in verse 34, you know, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So again, th- right. this illusion you know, to the fact that he's the shepherd, uh, uh, the, we're his sheep, and um, and of, and of course the, the need for um, uh, uh, their their physical um, you know uh, uh, provision is important. But I find it interesting when it says he had compassion on them. Uh, yeah. The first thing is not oh they're hungry. It says after he had compassion on them, he began to teach them many things. Yeah. I find that interesting. Yeah. So it's like, oh, I have compassion on them. They need lunch. No, I need to teach them. <laughs> and uh, yeah, so here we right. see, even, even though even though Jesus is concerned about our physical needs, uh, I think of the Sermon on the Mount, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. That's right. It's what we've been seeing all along, that the focus the whole time is is not on the bodily needs, not, not that he doesn't care about them, like you were saying. I think that he shows compassion with regards to the physical needs too but he, his focus remains on on the on the teaching on on the side of you know that well and, and kind of again putting it back in terms of what a king is supposed to do right a king is supposed to be representing god i mean a king is supposed to right. be an example um and maybe he's not necessarily like the the teacher par excellence who's going along um you know uh, be, being like a scholar or something like that but, you know, I mean, just think of, uh, you know, King David or King Solomon, right? They're known for their wisdom, their godly right. wisdom. Um, they're supposed to be examples. They're supposed to be teaching as they lead. And this is just the opposite of what we just had Herod described as, right? Where he's basically having terms dictated to him by this girl, right? Who's just manipulative and doing all of this stuff. So uh, quite the opposite of anything that resembles being a teacher, and then I, I think to kind of just further highlight the juxtaposition, you know, Herod keeps getting put in awkward situations. And how does Herod respond? He bends. He breaks. Right. He just he just kind of does whatever he needs to do, the most expedient, easy thing he can do, um, given the awkward situation. The Lord Jesus is put into an awkward situation. He's tired. He needs to get away. Uh, he needs to rest. And then he gets a crowd in the middle of nowhere 
<laughs> um, and then even later, the situation, it goes, it's just like with Herod, right, where the situation goes from awkward to even more awkward. Um, the Lord Jesus, it, it goes from awkward, um, you know, he's, he's tired and all this stuff, and, and he gets a crowd, to more awkward. It's late in the day, and there's no, nowhere to, to eat. So he gets put into these awkward situations, and how does he respond? I, I, I feel like the, there's a really, um, I mean, just, just given the food here, a, a, re a really a delicious juxtaposition here between right. how, how a real leader, a godly leader, is going to lead. And, and just Jesus just shows that he's just the anti-Herod. He is nothing like Herod. He is a true good king. I mean, without having to say it here, he's like saying effectively— I am the good shepherd. Right, right. And then, of course, uh, Jesus goes on, in my opinion, to, to, to deliberately set them up for this miracle. Because he didn't, it's not like they were in a no-win situation. Even the disciples say, hey, you know, before it gets too late, send them away so they can get something to eat. So, so they had the option of going back and getting some food. Mm -hmm. but, but instead of saying, yeah, you're right, uh, time to go home now, guys. Uh, you know, Jesus deliberately sets up the situation to where, you know, the disciples are saying, what, you want us, us to give them something to eat? There's no way that can happen, Jesus. Uh, there's no mm -hmm. way we can accomplish that. Um, and, and, then, and then Jesus, uh, of course, sets them up uh, for the miracle. How many loaves do you have? And, of course, um, to, to, to uh, refute the, the liberal take on this, that Jesus just encouraged everybody to share their lunch. Obviously, there's nothing <laughs> like that in the text here at all. It, it, there, there was actually a legitimate miracle here, a multiplication of food, of bread and fish. And, um, and, uh, and then also the, the amazing thing, and uh, I don't know what you want to say about this, because most study Bibles don't even touch this, but I find it interesting uh, that, you know, at the end of this uh, feeding where, where the people are miraculously fed, uh, there's this yeah. deliberate comment, they all ate and were satisfied, and they took up 12 baskets full of pieces yep. of fish. And, yep. uh, and uh, you know, uh, now we have to be careful because the text itself doesn't give a, a detailed explanation of this, but I don't think we can ignore the fact that there's 12 apostles, 12 baskets, and I think here, uh, there's a couple things at least. Uh, Jesus is saying, hey, not only did I, you know, miraculously uh, provide uh, for my, my sheep, and you think of the Psalms, God opens his hands and set aside the desires of every living thing, but, but I'm going to take care of you guys too. There, there just happens to be 12 of you, and there's 12 baskets full of food left over. I'm going to provide for you. Uh, my servants. Right. And of course, 12 being also representative of the entire church. You know, God knows our needs. I, I think again in the Sermon on the Mount, where, you know, don't worry about food. God knows that you need these things, and, and he will provide according to his will and as he sees best. Yeah, no, I think uh, I think you're right that we should be taking something out of the the significance here, because even if Mark isn't coming out and saying, okay, hey, look, guys, this is what it means, right? This is what the number represents. Um, clearly, there's some kind of significance to this, right? Because, I mean, you get it. I mean, and the thing is, we're going to see it in a big way once we get to chapter 8, because there you're actually going to have yeah. the Lord Jesus explicitly uh, 
I mean, really getting on the disciples' case for not understanding that there is significance to this. Yes, exactly. He's like, don't you remember when I broke the five loaves for the 5,000? What's he say? How many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up, right? right and then when exactly. they kind of don't get it, he's like, don't you understand yet? So, I, I mean, so you get the, all these little comments along the way, and then, of course, there's that big confrontation. But, I mean, the little comment we have here is in verse 52, they did not understand about the loaves. Uh, for their hearts were hardened. So clearly this is like one of these let the reader understand kind of moments where you're supposed to exactly. be getting something from this. And um, and, and I think I think you're right. It's 12 is the number. We, we saw this countless times in Revelation, is the number of God's people. And yeah. it's the 12 tribes. And that's a very suggestive number, especially in the context of, well, you have 12 tribes originally, but there's sort of only like one in a, like half left at this point like it's just it's all kind of judah at this point the others got fairly wiped out or you know i mean benjamin and and uh you know levi and, and simeon in some ways are kind of like maybe hanging on kind of got absorbed um into what judah you know but i i mean so it's very interesting to say oh hey look this is this is 12 um because you know one uh, where where all the tribes come back from, right? And then and then two, uh, we haven't had a king over all twelve in quite some time. Exactly. Right? Like it's that th that monarchy got divided a long time ago, and now someone's going to come and say. I mean, I think that's the significance of saying the son of David. It's saying, hey, someone's going to go go back and say, hey, look, I'm king over all twelve. Now that right. would be a claim. That would be something. So. I, I think you're right. That's that's how you got to take it. That he's trying to say here in this context of juxtaposing kings, King Herod, uh, you know, of who's who's only like you know tetrarch of this little chunk, even right, not even the the, the whole, um, versus King Jesus, who's actually king over all twelve. And we we saw the little girl was twelve years old. I mean, so it's, there's all this stuff. This is the true king over all of God's people. Yeah, it's it's amazing. And then, you know, I want to be careful to let Mark be Mark, but it's interesting that, you know, Jesus has just performed a miracle here that, and of course with the walking on the water too, that shows that he's more than just a mere prophet. He's the, the, the shepherd, you know, I, and of course the very fact that Jesus is using shepherd language here, well, what does yeah. David say in Psalm 23? The Lord is my shepherd. <laughs> so mm -hmm. uh, there's a very important claim being made here. And uh, and we think in John in John six, you know, Jesus goes out of his way to say, hey, you know, th this this miracle that I just performed, as awesome as it is, is meant to be a sign that 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 I'm the true bread from heaven. And so I know what what's, what what gets explicit in in John, I think, is implicit here that you know, even though Mark doesn't spell it out for us, it's like, okay, yeah, he just fed our stomachs, but boy, here we have the shepherd who is the true bread from heaven, you know, to, to give us the, the spiritual food that we truly need. Yeah, I do think you could say even more about even the fact that there's a fish there, too. I mean, there's, I think there's really a lot of significance in the details, but um, yeah, cer certainly we, we are, there. there is a sermon here un underneath the actions. It's both. Um, and we have the same thing going on with the last chunk here in this narrative here, um, there is this short little scene at the end there about um, healing the sick in Gennesaret. But I think the last thing we want to focus on today is about the walking on the water here. Uh, because, you know, again, that's the heading we have, walking on the water. Oh, look, it's a miracle. Uh, but again, it's not just 
it's it's not really about the miracles and even here it's the same right. sort of thing uh, there's there's teaching going on and it's actually supposed to be it says in verse 52 supposed to be reinforcing what they were supposed to learn from the loaves the same message is supposed to be conveyed here so what is the message yeah well exactly i mean it's uh, obviously you know and it's interesting their their initial um uh, response is not to say oh wow he's god because you know mark uh, makes the point that they, they think he's a ghost you know yeah, so th- yeah. th- they're obviously not getting this initially um but then you know we have uh you know, uh, Jesus saying, take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. And then he got into the boat with them. The wind ceased. They were astounded, for they did not understand about the loaves. So uh, I, I find this interesting. It, 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 in this particular case, the miracle doesn't enlighten them. They, they remain clueless at this point. Um, right. But, but what, what, what we learn about this is, is not only is, is Jesus king over the 12 tribes of Israel, but I believe what, what, what he's teaching here is, you know, I'm the king of all creation. You know, and I find it interesting that Jesus, you know, has been in Gentile territory, too. You know, like you mentioned yeah. earlier, especially with the yeah. Gerasenes, uh, you know, uh, yeah. uh, you know uh, I'm not only, you know, here to... to to uh, uh, deal with ethnic Israel, but but the the twelve, the people of God, is bigger than that. And and, and I think right. really here with walking on water, you have the Lord who who uh, and of course, again, Mark doesn't spell this out, but in the Old Testament, the sea can be an example of of the the the, the chaos of the world and evil. True. But uh, yeah. uh, whether that's going on here or not, but here we have God is in control of all of creation. He's not just the well, king of Israel, but the king of the world. And of course, we see that most clearly in the resurrection. And you pointed out that we already had this resurrection hint, right, thrown at us yeah. earlier uh, with, with Herod, because we're supposed to put the Herod story together with these ones. So resurrection from the dead is kind of already on the table. And what was, I think, fascinating here, I, I actually think, besides the kingship idea, I think this is supposed to be hinting to them that he is going to be raised from the dead. And that, that seems maybe, and we'll have to develop maybe this thought next time, but isn't it interesting in the fourth watch of the night, right, between 3 a.m. and 6 a.m., like, isn't that when the Lord Jesus uh, left that tomb empty? Um, you know, he apparently leaves the disciples, right? It's just like as before, he apparently left to go to a desolate place, but he comes back to them. And in the end, he comes back to them in the boat in the same way he's going to come back to them after his death. I, I think we're supposed to be looking at the resurrected king here, but... Oh, so many good things here today. Thank you so much, brother. I always love our conversations. Just so much to get out of these chapters. God bless you and your people in North Dakota, Jamestown there, and your Easter season. Yes, Lord be with you too. Thank you, brother. Everybody, that was Pastor Thomas Eckstein, pastor at Concordia Lutheran Church in Jamestown, North Dakota. Moving on to Mark chapter 7. So many good things going on here. Until then, I'm Pastor A.J. Espinosa. Peace. been listening to Thy Strong Word, 
produced by the Lutheran Church, Missouri Senate Office of National Mission in cooperation with Worldwide KFUO, the official broadcast ministry of the LCMS. Your support is vital for this program to continue. You can make a gift safe, secure, and easily online at kfuo.org. Thank you for listening and supporting Thy Strong Word.